Welcome to the Gather Podcast with me, Deanne. I'm bringing my very, very first episode in this series of recordings to you and discussing the theme of identity. Now, I am absolutely delighted to be joined by the wonder that is Neha Patel Hampton. Now, Neha and myself first crossed paths when I was undertaking a yoga immersion um, over a number of a few weeks in Brighton and Neha was cooking. I was instantly drawn to Neha, um, her warm energy, this kind of feeling of, I kind of felt like I'd already, I knew we knew each other and I knew that we felt the same and we've since talked about this. But the food was incredible. It was authentic. It was Indian. And I've spent some time in India. Um, Both my mom and my sister have spent some time in India too. And my mom's cooking is very influenced by Ayurveda. And so for me to be kind of like delving into this cuisine on a daily basis and while I was kind of on this series, this program, this uh, immersion was just so wonderful. So we connected there and we had a shared energy um, and we kind of ever so slightly lost, you know, as, as life gets in the way and you kind of lose connection. But we're connected on social platforms and kind of having a little bit of an insight into what, you, what each other are doing. And then I founded The Gather and I have been working with various different themes and the theme of identity came to me because I really wanted to openly discuss how identity can mean so much and how identity can change so much, so drastically, so differently um, along the course of life. Now, my initial thought with identity was to focus on how different people feel about themselves and how they see their identity as well as how it's perceived by others. I had in mind a couple of people that I wanted to talk to around the subject of how identity can change when you become a mother. Um, And that feeling of losing yourself, losing a part of yourself and not being that person that you once were prior to having kids. And so I launched a theme on my social platform and I had a message from Neha. She had recently um, been doing a lot of deep work research and kind of deep diving into her history and her identity and what identity meant to her. And she'd recently written a piece called Reclaiming My British Identity. And I think it was like a couple of days before or something really, really kind of crazy like that. And then she pop, what popped up on Instagram was the fact that I was bringing this theme to, to Brighton. And so she messaged me and uh, we're not calling it, we're not calling it fate. I think we're calling it magic. We decided we'd call it magic. It was meant to be. And she um, told me about her recent um, kind of exploration um, and findings and um, she asked if she could send this piece to me so she sent this passage to me and I remember I was reading it just before I was back to my little one up from um, nursery and I had tears literally rolling down my face it's still one of the most poignant things that I've read um, and it really really touched me and I knew I think I sent her a voice note in tears going oh. <laughs> 
And I knew that she needed to come and that The Gather was going to be the platform for her to continue this exploration, to dive a little deeper into the work that she um, wants to share, to open up this messaging, to start the conversation and to reach people with her story and her journey. And she did. And it was wonderful. And uh, so we are bringing some of the conversation. I mean, the conversation went on for hours, but we're bringing some of that conversation here today. So I am delighted to welcome Neha to the podcast. Neha is a passionate and powerful woman with a wide range of experience across corporate, charity and hospitality settings. After a highly successful 18-year career in big business, Neha retrained as a yoga teacher and set up her own food business to share her passion for global cuisine. And in recent times, Neha has pivoted a large part of her work to focus with charities driving social change and fighting racial and gender inequality. She leads from the heart, and she lives by the Ngunu Bantu term, Ubuntu, meaning humanity, often translated as I am because we are, a philosophical term that believes in a universal bond of sharing that connects all humanity. And this is just so you in a nutshell, isn't it? Welcome, Neha, to my first Gather podcast. Thank you so much, Deanne, for having me. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. I'm so excited too. This has kind of been a bit of a a long time coming, multiple, multiple voice notes since we reconnected. Um, And to be honest, you are the the only person um, who could be and share this kind of first experience of recording a podcast. I'm super, super grateful and thank you for all that you do and all that you've shared um, prior to this podcast, because obviously... With all of these gather themes um, and topics that I choose to share and what I will continue to choose to share on the podcast, they all come from the live events that we've already had. Um, And I was super, super grateful to have you as my leading guest for Identity, which we had in Brighton and Hove. And what an evening. It was just spectacular, wasn't it? It was a really, really poignant moment for me on a very deeply personal level as well, Deanne. Um, I found that not just our reconnection, but just the way that the conversation unfolded between us and then in that event was incredibly therapeutic for me um, and actually allowed me to create a safe space and have a voice and talk about something that's actually very, very difficult. I know. I know how much you got from having this platform and how much this means to you because was this your kind of first sharing since you kind of wanted to delve deeper into um your identity absolutely i i would say that i've i've had so many thoughts um so much mm. confusion and so many words flying around in my head and it was the moment that i wrote those down that all of a sudden i felt a degree of clarity and i knew 
and my husband said it to me at the time when I read it to him, I knew that I needed to find ways to share the story in part so that I could share that the way that I felt or I feel is Mm. not on my own. And it allows me to help other people who perhaps feel lonely in their thoughts as well. Yeah. I know that you touched so many people, um, so many women that were in that space with us on that evening, which I think um, I'm sure that you've stayed connected with since we all met. Absolutely. I guess I want to start with what does identity mean to you? So it's a it's massive a question there. <laughs> it's, it's such a simple word, identity, and it's mm. one that we don't really give a great deal of thought to. Um, the way I feel about this word has changed a lot over the years. As a child, um, it felt like a sense of belonging and or, or not belonging, actually, as the case often is. Mm. Um, as I grew up, it meant a curiosity, um, a curiosity into my family history and into the history of my people. And now I think that it's actually a word that means a recognition that we have a universal connection between us, between our people, our history. And it's important for me to know and understand that so that I can create a future that learns from the lessons of our past. So for me, identity is so many things, but really it starts with the person, the individual, and then it grows out to be more about our collective selves since reading when you you sent me um a kind of a piece that I'm pretty sure just poured out of you it seemingly as I was reading it just sounded like it had just poured out of you um so much of it touched me can you share a little bit about how you felt growing up as a child um also, it's it's a it's a big question, and I'll start just by saying that um, I grew up in I, what I can only really reflect on as an unhappy home. My parents were embroiled in the ups and downs of their own life stories. My my father was born in Tanzania, um, East Africa, under colonial rule. After my grandfather was uprooted and rerouted into indentured servitude on the railways by the British Empire. Um, My mother was born in Gujarat um, a few years later, but after the independence from the British. And they both grew up in very complex and turbulent times. Um, After leaving Tanzania at the age of 18, my father embarked on an extraordinary journey, which led him to come to the UK and also led for me and my sister to both be born here in, in, in England. My mum joined him in 1978 after an arranged marriage. And so we only know this country as our home, but being raised in the 80s in a seaside town on the south coast of England wasn't easy because whilst curry was deemed the favourite dish of the nation, it was also when the EDL were marching up and down the country um, fighting against people like me. Um, I was born, I would say, into a hostile environment. And in most part, I could describe my early experiences of racism as subtle. Um, People crossing the road to avoid us. Friends, parents not inviting us to parties. My mum being pushed aside in the supermarket queue. And then all the way through to being shouted at in the street, having racist abuse thrown at us. It just makes my blood boil just just listening to this. This is just so not right and what anyone 
let alone a child should ever endure. Absolutely. And if you think about, and and the child is the important part here, is that mm. my my father came to this country as a British national. He was born into the British Empire. And so he came here legally, rightfully. And yet this never became a home for him because no matter where he went in the world, he never belonged. And interestingly, as the generation born to that, I also grew up feeling incredibly alone. And as a child, I was made to feel different. And sadly, what that meant is that I pushed back against my Indian heritage. I didn't want to be Indian. And as I think about that now as an adult, it makes me incredibly sad that that was the consequence of that situation. Mm. Is there, you know, was there a, a pivotal point in your life where you wanted to know more? You know, were there questions of, you know, what, what you know what is my ancestry who is who is my ancestry you know what am I all about and why do I feel different and why do I have a different skin color from maybe people that are going to my school and why am I receiving this from other people it's um it's interesting I was um I was born to parents who were raised in either colonial or post-colonial times and what that meant for them is that they had a I I can only really describe it as a subservient identity and for that reason they kept their heads down and they taught us to do the same so throughout my childhood throughout all those hard moments um, I would say that as a result of the way that my parents were and the way that they taught us to be those that hurt and those feelings were never validated. And so in a lot of ways, I kind of grew up believing what was being said to me. I believed that I didn't belong and I believed that I didn't, I wasn't British enough. You didn't know any different, did you? No, exactly. And in terms of pivotal moments, I spent my entire childhood all the way through my teens wanting to be like everyone else, despite the fact that I stuck out like a sore thumb. I mean, growing up on, in, in a town, a seaside town in the south of England, where we were like one of two Indian families, actually, mm. when I was growing up as a small child. And me and my sister were the only brown kids in our school. We certainly felt very, very different. And so there was no real conscious realization of my difference until I guess in my early 20s, I actually took a work assignment and moved to India for 18 months. Um, I didn't really appreciate at the time how much of an impact that would have on me, but being with, being in your home country, being surrounded by people that look like you, speaking the same language, and actually sharing something that is unseen. And I think, Deanne, I could say this to anybody who was born and raised in this country who's white, and you can probably relate to that feeling of safety, of security, of feeling like you belong. But when I was in my early 20s, I had that moment for the first time. And it made me reconnect to my culture. It made me appreciate things like food and music. And those were the first things that really brought me back home Mm. in my own self. But I guess it wasn't really until my father passed when I was at 27 that I started to explore my own family history and my own, the history of my people. And it Mm. wasn't really until that moment that I actually grew a curiosity and a restlessness inside me. And... 
And so, you know, what made you, with this restlessness, you know, how did you channel this? How did you find out more information about your family history? And, and what, what did you do? You know, what, what did you do to find out more? It's really, it's really interesting because when you look back at, in, at, at your life in hindsight, you, you see like a journey unfolding. But obviously at the time, it was very unconscious for me. When my father passed away, I was left with a, a huge amount of unresolved questions. And, yeah. and, and I, I had a very difficult relationship with my father. He moved from, he was, his, he was born in Tanzania, but he's Gujarati Indian. He lived in Tanzania in a country where he didn't belong. He went back to India at the age of 20, didn't belong there either because he'd never lived there, came back to East Africa, eventually came to England, but he never found a home. And so he was deeply unhappy. And there were lots and lots of different reasons for his unhappiness, but his life ending so early was incredibly tragic for us because we never really got to understand him as a person. And I think that that unanswered question started the journey for me. And so I started to really research into his story and that led me to raise money and actually go out to Tanzania to his birth town to walk the streets where he grew up, where he essentially was, was raised. And it was really, really interesting for me because it made me then explore the British history. Because what we're talking about now is India is a country that's been independent from the British since the, the mid-40s, Africa since the 70s, or Tanzania since the 70s. And so when I'm looking at these countries today, they're still in their journey of healing from the impacts that those colonial times had on them, but they are very different to the stories that my father would have seen. And so I had to actually look back at real history and start reading the stories about the British Empire. And I guess through my 30s, actually even in most more recent years, those stories have kind of grown even more curiosity inside me. And so it feels like this kind of endless journey of education now. Mm. I'm so intrigued also by how your mom reacted to you wanting to know more. It's really interesting because my my mom and dad had a very complex relationship. And so when he passed, mm. um, she wasn't she was in, in so many ways, I think it was a release for her. Mm. Um, she was able to find her own self, her own identity. I, I am very different to my mum. She is, you know, she's like that kind of real mother figure. Her love language is food. She had a really tough life and a really tough marriage. And so she, once my father passed, just went into rest mode and just needing calm and peace. Whereas for me, it left me with more open questions. Um, and so we kind of, I guess in a lot of ways, um, I, my mother probably can't relate to my curiosity, but that doesn't mean she's ever, ever suppressed it. And in a lot of ways, I feel that the love and support I have from her has allowed me to ask those questions and to be curious she gives me such a solid foundation and my love for food, for example, comes from her. 
but yeah. the curiosity, the adventure, the spirit, the fire in my belly, that all comes from my father. And I recognize that now in a way that I never had before. Hmm. I know that you talked um, at the event about the death of George Floyd being a massive kind of catalyst for you to wanting to you you talk you talked a little bit about having almost like a an aggression um and a kind of a strange energy around this because I guess there is a lot of resentment there and with this this time this massive massive heavy time around George Floyd did this you know how did this kind of spark this fire and and really like this fire within you it's um it's it's really fascinating um because George Floyd's murder happened when the world was at a standstill. COVID meant we were all at home and we had more time and we were more reflective. And on a on a personal level for me, I found that moment incredibly overwhelming. I found myself drowning in my emotions. It it forced me to face so many moments and experiences that I had never ever even acknowledged. And so they talk about these kind of moments of trauma in our past that we haven't processed. Well, that was the moment when all of mine came flooding out. Um, I processed dozens and dozens of racist moments that have taken place throughout my life for the first time. Some of them significant, some of them subtle, but all of them that made me feel the same way. All of that processing fed into that kind of restlessness inside me, but it, in a lot of ways it became my call to action. Mm. Um, the irony that the systems that uprooted and placed my family into indentured servitude, that are knowing that they're the same systems that I benefit from being born in this country is not lost on me. And, and I think that's why I feel this really deep need to honour my family's story. And I feel this really deep need to find a way to be part of the solution. Mm. How do you think like lack of insecurity of identity affects other people? I, I'll talk about this from a very personal perspective, but as a child, um, being made to feel like an outsider, mm. facing racism sounds tough. And I can hear that you, you, the empathy that you feel as you listen to me talking. But sadly, the feelings inside a child and inside a person are so much more tragic than anything that I think words can explain. Of course. When when your parents aren't able to validate and console the pain that you feel, you inevitably are led to believe that you don't belong. Every time I was told that a friend's parents didn't want me to come to their house, every time I wasn't invited to a birthday party, just reaffirmed the internal fear that I didn't belong. I can't, I can't wrap my head around that, actually. I just, yeah, I'm, I really struggle to... It's, it's this is now making this is now kind of really making me and my blood boil you know to think that you know someone's so young and they just you know you wouldn't get it like why why on earth would you not be welcome it's, yeah. it's just this is yeah 
Sorry. No, no, I, I think yeah, sadly uh, it's still happening to people. Yeah. But for me, I, I still, I feel like you, I feel really broken when I think about a child or any child facing such yeah. loneliness. I mean, identity is something that is taken for granted by many who have the luxury of being born into a place where everyone looks like them. But mm. as a girl of colour, I grew up with a pain inside me that's taken a really long time and I'm still trying to find stability. I'm still trying to find a place of belonging. And the reality is, is that in my most vulnerable moments, that pain is still within me today. It's something I'm learning to manage and it's something I'm learning to deal with, but it won't ever leave me. And I wonder for every person who is different, irrespective of color, um, but every person who has a difference of it within them, whether they also grow up feeling that loneliness. And I think that's the only word I can keep coming back to is that feeling that no one relates to how I'm feeling. And I'm really lucky. I've had amazing therapists and I have amazing friends and family, all who hold me up. And that's really important. But the truth is some people don't have that support. And so it's when, when you ask, you know, how do I think it affects people? I, th I think it's, really far reaching and I think there's a lot of healing that still needs to happen and sadly with the divisive nature of even today's politics it's very hard to imagine that people still don't continue to feel lonely and unwelcome. Mm. I guess we have quite a lot of resources that have become available mm. over the last kind of few years haven't we um there were so many books now um, and you shared a couple of books to the ladies that came to the event, um, Me and My White Supremacy. Yeah. And, and there are so many and there's so much more awareness. And obviously there was a, a huge, huge movement um, that kind of stemmed from everything that happened with Black Lives Matter. There are so many resources there, but there's still so much to do, isn't there? And I, I, I think everybody on a, a deeply conscious level knows that, mm. that they need to do more. Mm. I mean, there are people like you, Deanne, who, you know, you're a clear ally. You recognize the need to keep having these conversations because that's the thing is everyone is uncomfortable. Everyone feels that discomfort. Mm. And I think it means that we avoid facing it. But if we do that and we continue to do that, nothing changes. And the sad thing, the really sad thing is that I, I think if we don't talk about the past, we can't create a future that we, that we, we will be proud of. And so for me, you know, there's, you're right. There are so many resources and books. I love me and white, white supremacy because it really focuses in on our internal thought process. And I think that's incredibly important. We don't even know what unconscious biases exist within, within ourselves mm. until we really start to look deep inside ourselves. But there's also amazing books about the empire and, you know, <sighs> identifying myself as a British Indian mm. is quite complicated now I know what I know it's like once you open your eyes you can't un you can't close them you can't unlearn this stuff mm. and so yeah I think that it's this whitewashing of history this kind of erasing the bad bits it's a really tough situation for people like me because I feel that until that stuff is acknowledged we're just never going to change 
and it was and it was apparent you know it was it was such an important message and I think that there is a feeling of uncomfort discomfort in in listening to these conversations and this is exactly why we need to have them more and you know there are quite a lot of people that came to the event when you talked and you know and I know that people said you know this is this is an edge, you know, this is a, you know, you're, you're on the edge of kind of like, oh, because there's so much work that every individual needs to do. And there's always more that we can do. There's always more that we can learn. We can better understand. Um, but yeah, it's just starting to have these conversations and making them more widely and readily available. And this is, this is also why this had to be the first in this series, because this is, is so prominent and so important. And actually what's um, what's really interesting is the fact that we started our conversation a few months back about this. And you said to me, I just have this, you know, I have quite a lot of negativity. Did I, can I say negativity? And, yeah. you know, it's, it, it's passion, of course, but there's a lot of, you know, pent up negativity and deep, deep resentment for everything that you've unearthed over your years of kind of delving deeper in into this. And actually talking this morning prior to coming onto the podcast, you said that you have a softness and that you're really leaning into this softness. And I, I'm intrigued to kind of hear, like, what is it that you're doing to channel this energy into a way that doesn't make you in turn then you know a stressed out human being makes you unwell and and kind of like sticks within your body um and 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 how do you channel it in the right ways like what is it that you're doing and how have you kind of come about from this pent up resentment and kind of anger and negativity to turning it round because you are literally one of the most positive human beings I've ever met and this is why I am you know more than happy to spend as much time as I possibly can in your presence and this is why we're working together on so many other opportunities and it's really exciting and this is why I just you know I I lean into spending time with you I love spending time with you and talking to you and listening to you but this this negativity never comes across to me. Like, what is it that you're doing to kind of reframe the way that you look at it? Thank you. That's a really great question. Um, I I guess the, this starts with the fact that I can't change my identity. I am Indian and I was born in Britain, which makes me a British Indian. And the fact that I have no choice over that, or I had no choice over that, means that I need to find a way to find comfort within that identity. Being angry doesn't change anything. The fact Mm -hmm. that, Deanne, in 2022, we are sitting here talking about the need for this conversation to happen, Mm. that in itself is so frustrating because... Racism in this country has existed for so long and we're still talking about it. And so the sad thing is, is that we have to find a new way or a different way or a more wholesome way to solve for this. And I guess being angry, the only person that suffers is me. Yeah. Nothing changes. 
I can't change things from a place of anger, even though it's where my passion comes from. And so I guess one of the things that I have done is I have reformatted the way I think about this anger. And it is still anger and it's still frustration. It's still tension, but it is now a fuel. And I actually want you to almost visualize that every time I feel angry, I'm just topping up my tank and I'm putting more fuel into that tank to basically allow me to do something good. And so it was really, I mean, having spent 18 years in the corporate world, I learned to work really hard. And then I basically threw all that in the air and went after my life passions. But about a year ago, I realized that the experience and skills that I have are so incredibly valid in this area. And so what I'm doing today to use that fuel <laughs> to rebalance the world that I live in is I'm working with amazing charities and organizations who are doing their best to drive social change, who are fighting against racial and gender inequality. And that's where the calmness comes from. It's finding a way to use the fuel that anger creates to do something better. And actually, I owe it to my history to be part of the solution. Otherwise, another generation will pass and we'll still be talking about this in 25, 50 years from now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And is there an element of you ever so slightly turning into your mom with your food <laughs> and your love of food so and sharing <laughs> your passion for creating wonderful, colourful, tasty food? So it's interesting because um, I learned to cook at an incredibly young age. I remember one of my first memories is being about four or five years old, standing on a stool in the kitchen, rolling my first chapati <laughs> and having to eat that first one. It's interesting because every time we made our own, we were made to eat them. So the worse they were, the better. <laughs> we were. Um, but I learned to cook at a really young age. I had a complex relationship with food, though, because I was trying to push away from my culture to fit in with my British identity and so I pushed away from the culture and I actually started to feel ashamed of it but I I learned to love it again in my 20s when I was in India traveling around the world I learned how precious food can be as a way to bring people together mm. and actually it has that unique quality doesn't it you can bring joy and happiness but also it represents our shared history as countries and as the world and our, our communities. And so for me, food will always be my passion. And so am I going to turn into my mom? So interesting, <laughs> my mom, my mom actually has taught me so much, but she is actually falling out of love of cooking. And it's now me taking over for the family, which is also mm. super cool as well. Um, I, I would say I spend about 70% of my work time focused on driving social change and working with really awesome organizations. But the other 30% of my life is spent following my passions and following the thing that brings me joy and, and food and yoga are those two things. And so my creativity, my calm, my, my inner, my inner joy comes from those passions, but I found a way to continue to incorporate them into my wonderful life and Deanne you know this very well it's something I will continue to do it's something that I and I love 
I'm partnering with really amazing people like you to use food as a way to show our shared humanity. So yeah, food is always going to be the center of everything for me. Yeah. And I've tried and tested your food a few times now, and I am thoroughly looking forward to trying more. We have a couple of retreats, don't we, coming up? Um, and we can share these details um, down the line. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to working and collaborating with you much more. And Neha, you have passion literally flooding out of you. Every part of you is pure passion. And I'm so, so grateful that you've taken the time to be here and to share something that's really massive and really personal um, to you and and that you continue to share for the greater good and for change. And yeah, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for joining me on my first podcast. Thank you, Deanne, for allowing me to be vulnerable, allowing me to share this story, but also... Um, thank you for creating a platform that helps us to spread this because as as we said earlier um, part of this is having these conversations mm. and this is just a perfect example of how you can take a a girl who grew up in in Eastbourne's story and and hopefully share it with people who will find some commonality with it I know they will I know they will thank you so much and sending all of the love and I look forward to seeing you very soon